welcome to a special Champions League edition of the Rabona podcast. Hello again, listeners, and we are now back at full strength. Michael De Silva, <laughs> back from injury, has joined us again. Hello, Michael. Hi. 95% anyway. 95%. Great to have you back. Coming off the bench. We'll be joined too by Kirsten Schlewitz to discuss Red Star and Napoli and their exploits in the Champions League. But let's start with the biggest result of the night, Dortmund Atletico. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. Wow. 4-0 wow. Dortmund. I mean, I thought Dortmund were going to win because, you know, unbeaten this season. Um, Atletico have been better in recent weeks, but they struggled at the start, haven't been as convincing. They've been trying to integrate the likes of Thomas Lamar. Griezmann hasn't really um, hit top form. Um, Diego Costa has been out injured. So I kind of had a feeling that Dortmund would, would take this, but... The manner of the victory was um, was incredible. Um, they absolutely steamrolled them in that second half. And um, yeah, 4-0, totally deserved. And Dortmund are one of the teams to to look out for seriously this year. Yeah, I had a feeling about it from when... Remember when Dortmund beat Real Madrid at home and that right. season they went to the final? Yeah. It's the first time since then I can remember that, that vibe um, in the Champions League. We said it on the podcast the other day about how Lucien Favre's bringing... Dortmund back to that level of kind of like feeling and excitement than they had at peak Klopp and I mean I'm, those last three goals came in the in 15 minutes though you know it was the 1-0 till the 72nd 73rd minute mm. and then they just kind of blitzed Atleti well the breaking point I think for Atletico is when Diego Simeone took off um, Sal Niguez it was crazy I thought mm. um, he had hit the crossbar had two or three other chances and was by far Atletico's biggest goal threat took him off in the 70th minute Two two or three minutes later, Dortmund had got that crucial second goal and yeah. they just collapsed from there. Um, usually I'm a, a big fan of Simeone, but I think he got that one quite wrong. I think maybe there's an element of foreshadowing from the game against Monaco. They played uh, the last home game in the Champions League where they again broke them down very late. And if you look at the start of the Monaco goals and the start of the goals that they scored against Letico, similar in this sense that these were team goals. They really broke them down with the exception of the Witzel strike. These were team, these, they really dismantled the uh, opposition defence. And I think the most worrying thing for Atletico has to be that the, the amount of times they were given room, Dortmund, in front of the Atletico back four, and the amount of times they went through the middle, the heart of the defence. Well, you say dismantling. I, I just wonder whether it's more of an overwhelming because when they go forward, they just pour forward in numbers. And mm. this is the farther away. I mean, I think they, uh, it tends to be the way that Favre has an amazing season or two at the most. And then things start to fall apart because players, I think, are just exhausted. Yeah. Um, that's why he's got so many young players in there who have the legs to do it. But the way they just turn defence into attack is exhilarating. I mean, they're it's so good to watch. They're so breathtaking yeah. to watch. Like we said it a number of times this season, they're like, if you're going to watch one game on the weekend, watch a Dortmund game. <laughs> because even if they don't, I mean, when, who was it? Um, it was the game a few weeks ago at home when they won? Was it four, five, three, four, three four, against three. Augsburg? Yeah. Augsburg, right, yeah, and you know, even when they concede a few and they look like they might be in trouble, they've just got goals in them, and they're they're so exciting to watch. All their games are super exciting. I actually spoke to my dad on the phone yesterday morning, and we were talking about Dortmund, and I said to him, I was like, right watch Dortmund this season because he hasn't actually watched that much Dortmund and I got a text off him last night saying are you watching the Dortmund game <laughs> I love it <laughs> so he's uh, he's on he's on, he's on the what's on funny the with Dortmund as well is if you look at the amount of playmakers they've got you could argue actually the only other club with as many playmakers of similar quality is probably Manchester City mm. you have Pulisic Royce Goetze Sancho 
Mm. Alcacer obviously has a nine, but he does more than just score. He looks up very, very well. You know, it's terrific, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, Dortmund's defence is actually better than people give it credit for. I mean, just I've got the last seven results in front of me here. One of them was a friendly, to be fair, during the international break. But um, 4-0 Atletico, 4-0 Stuttgart, 4-0 Aachen, that was a friendly. 4-3 Augsburg, 3-0 Monaco, 4-2 Leverkusen, a 7-0 Nuremberg. Wow. They're scoring lots, but there's also quite a few zeros in the mm-hmm. the conceded column there. Which has been their problem for the last few years. They've yeah. just not been able to defend that great. Yeah, and I think Zagadu and Akanji, they're really, they're gelling quicker than I thought they would. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it's the, the Jurgen Klopp thing where they, they needed to sort out that defence, but they it's worked quicker than I, I thought. I always tend to have sympathy for teams that pour forward like Dortmund do because they have to make some sacrifice at the other end and you have centre-backs who ultimately have a very high line to keep. Mm. You know, this is the Dejan Lovren problem. A very good defender who is exposed time and time again because the team is pouring forward. Mm. And it's very difficult to have the type of balance that Dortmund have managed. Actually, funnily enough, Spurs have managed that better than pretty much any major team in Europe in the last few years in terms of balance between attack and defence. But Mm. it's even cost them, I think, with fatigue at certain points. Yeah. And players get older and they're not able to keep up with it. Uh, PSG. We need to jump into that because that's an exciting match too. Uh, great finish from Di Maria to end a pretty exciting game. Yeah, uh, it was all right. It wasn't uh, It wasn't amazing. The atmosphere seemed really flat and um, PSG were quite flat in their performance, I think. Bar the first first 10 minutes, they looked really good and then um, missed a few chances, dropped off. There was a bit of a lack of intensity and uh, they got caught out a couple of times by Napoli with um, Insigne scoring the first. It was a really good finish, actually. I think the keeper probably... Could have either really committed to coming early or just stayed. Yeah, he kind of did neither. Yeah. Can I just say this as well? In PSG's defence, Napoli also just make you look bad. Like, they're that Mm. good. Yeah, they're great. So, right, right. Look at the the game against Liverpool, right? So, and it's no coincidence because we saw Liverpool do this and we're like, oh, they look a bit flat, Liverpool. PSG play, oh, PSG look flat. Actually, maybe it's just Napoli absolutely swarming you. They made Mm. the fullback, the Liverpool fullback, was it um, Trent Arnold? Mm -hmm. Uh, They made him look really poor. And he's a fantastic player, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just that they they swarm you and they make you look worse than you are. And, you know, PSG actually came into that game of pretty good form, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, let's not forget, Napoli pushed Juve all the way to the title last season right. and really could have won it. Um, I think they've got a, the highest amount of points they've ever had in Serie A last season and still didn't win the league. Mm. Um, PSG were without Thiago Silva and they really miss him. I think in defence, they can kind of get away with it in, in most League One games. League, uh, sorry, um, but um, in against a side like Napoli in the Champions League, they'll they can really exploit that. I thought the the second goal for Napoli could have been a potentially a foul. They could have. I mean, it was a little bit soft, but um, Mertens gave Marquinhos a nudge. I'm surprised there wasn't a bigger a bigger appeal for it. But Di Maria got him out of trouble with a wonderful goal. Yeah. There's actually a couple of things I want to mention there. The first thing is that I love the way that Mertens has been converted into this sort of forward. I'm a big fan of forwards or strikers like developing or enlarging their games. But also Di Maria, who I think is kind of the most... I was talking funny the other day, I think he's the worst best player in the world in terms of... He's just unbelievably frustrating. Actually, I think he's more a kind of an old school winger. He's almost like a sort of mid-90s, early 90s winger, like a Paolo Futre, who... One game out of three is absolutely transcendental and spellbinding. And, you know, one and a half, two games out of three 
It submerges. It submerges. I didn't expect Paolo Futre's name to come up today, to be honest. Yeah, it's caught me off guard a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> well. Sorry, yeah. that, that, sorry just, guys, that, that's just, just me caught, value. Caught one daydreaming off into the distance there. Um, he's been good this season, though. Um, yeah, he, he was quite quiet yesterday. I mean, second half, he did not a lot and then um, popped up with a with a wonderful goal. So. I thought Neymar was not back to his best, but he played all right. Yeah, he was good. He kind of uh, drove quite a lot from deep and created a lot of chances for PSG, especially in the first half. Their finishing could have been better. Cavani and Mbappe um, missed a couple of chances you would expect them to score. Cavani missed an absolute sitter in the second half and got saved by the offside flag mm. from four yards out, I think. Mm. Put it wide. You mentioned Mounier, though. I He's such a, a funny player. He just... I mean, you were mentioning before the podcast, before the podcast about yeah. the, the, you know, the, the number of... Um, Strapping fullbacks, there are <laughs> unit wingbacks. Yeah, um, and Mooney is certainly one of those. He just pops up from nowhere and just scores or assists. Yeah, I said this it just before we recorded that every time I watch a PSG game that Mooney is playing in, he'll do something at some point. I'm like, oh yeah, Mooney. Yeah, yeah I forgot Actually, he was there. Sounded like quite a random comparison to throw in there. But before I forget, do you remember in rugby union? I don't know if you're a rugby union fan. Here we go. Sorry, guys. Sorry, <laughs> but there was a period in rugby union where the wingers were just accepted to be small. Hmm. And then something happened. There was a really quick uh, Ben Cohen's of six for eight, and all of a sudden, Rory Underwood. Well, yeah, all of a sudden, <laughs> we're just naming rugby union players. We've lost seventy-five percent of our listeners. No, there's a point. <laughs> there is a point here. The point being that wingers traditionally were seen as, oh, you're wide position, you're small, you're tricky, whatever. And then somebody, someone was like, actually, we can overload people on the flanks, and physical power and speed is actually a prerequisite. Because so I think no one had ever thought about it, mm. and so you had this generation of rugby players where you've got like now wingers for the size of forwards, mm. and you've now got forwards in, in wingers in football who are like absolutely huge. I mean, someone like Gareth Bale, for example, yeah. is now the modern fullback, whereas before it was someone like Lizarazu, if that makes sense. I find it quite interesting how the number of very fast, athletic fullbacks or wingbacks who can also switch to centre back, right? You know, it seems to be. Very interchangeable. I think well, not the, very, the, but... one of the players who made it um, such a success in recent years is Ivanovic at Chelsea. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, he showed his versatility on, on both sides. Also, maybe that reflects the competitive nature of modern football, you know, as a player. So you look at coming through the ranks, if you can play three or four positions, you're more likely to make it. And that sounds like an obvious point, but someone like Ashley Cole, for example, who for years, I think, actually played in a forward position. Mm. Uh, I think Saul Campbell was similar, like certain players that start off at certain levels and mm-hmm. then move further back and just play wherever they can. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, should we move on to Shakhtar Man City? Because I think there's a... Yes, we can. But before we move on to that, let me just jump in again because we haven't mentioned Jadon Sancho. I <laughs> always mention him. <laughs> oh, he's quick. so good. He's so good. Very quickly, sorry. Jadon Sancho mentioned. is so good that I'm he is now scoring. surprised at you, Michael. <laughs> Jadon Sancho is now... It's, it's just become so normal. <laughs> exactly. We've normalised him. He's yeah. normalised brilliant. To be fair, he probably was offside. Yeah, I think his knee was off. Um, but, you know, he, he, you know, three minutes after coming off the bench, he scores. I mean, I, don't, I think he was unlucky to, um, to have been benched ahead of Pulisic. I guess even Lucien Favre didn't realise that it would be such a convincing win and thought that he'd go for that little bit of Champions League experience. Pulisic, I think, is still only 19, is that right? Um, but he does have experience in these big games. Veteran. But Sancho really, um, he, he he emphatically made his point, let's say. And yeah, another goal. <laughs> he just keeps getting better and better. I think he was being rested for the weekend. Ooh. That's my. Uh, that's why Sancho was on the bench. 
Oh, good call. And that's, uh, <laughs> so there you go. That's that's where how his status in the squad has changed. You know, there are some big games coming up for for Dortmund. And they've got uh, on Saturday. Some more, but that, yeah, I mean, they've got also the, the the reverse game against Atletico coming up on the sixth of November, and then four days later they're playing the Clásica against Bayern. Mm. And I'd like to see Sancho start. Well, I think he deserves to start both of those games. Yeah, it's a big week that for them, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, you know, the way things are going, I think you have to say that Bayern are the team that are going to be running scared ahead of that game. Shakhtar. Man City. Right, so... First Man time City. an English side has beaten Shakhtar in the Ukraine. What? That's a wild... Really? Wild. The Don, is it Donbass Stadium? Well, it was. No, I mean, they were at the Donbass Stadium, but then in, with the conflict in 2014, they moved. They've been playing, at, uh, I think it's the Metalist, Metalist Stadium for what the last few years. But they're actually playing... 150 miles away from from Donetsk now yeah and they're they've moved their club operations to Kiev so they're actually a little bit kind of scattered how they've managed to keep the atmosphere moving to a stadium that isn't as close to the pitch as the Donbass but it was you know they always seem to be very 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 difficult to beat but Man City were great again I found Guardiola's comments about the Champions League pretty interesting the other day did you catch them when he about said about the that, fans needing to yeah he was like I don't really feel I don't really feel that kind of like hunger for the Champions League here yet and we're not going to win it and maybe they'll do it under another manager and it's just like they go and then be the first English side to beat Shakhtar in the Ukraine and he, I can imagine Guardiola just being like well it worked Guardiola's it worked. previous club Bayern Munich had quite a lot of hunger for the Champions League and he wasn't able to win it there true Maybe you've got it. Maybe it's one of those when you when you don't want really it, funny. it happens. He's you know? really funny because he gets. Sorry to jump in. It's just that Guardiola gets away with a lot of. He's actually quite. He's quite a funny guy because he does say some quite sort of. He pushes pointed it. quite. Yeah, he does quite yeah. sharp things. He he's does. super odd. Let's get it real about Pep. I love Pep. Like I love. I love. Love. Love Pep. I'm a big Pep fan. But he's really weird. Yeah. You he's know. like Spock. He's like Zachary Quinto. Spock. You know, he gets away with it because he's got this kind of. He's a weird, he's an odd dude with very good marketing. It was, it with was good, like, it, good in, trousers. In January, yeah, was it trousers. last January or the January before when he was, um, I think City had played really badly. They might have drawn or lost or whatever at home. And the BBC reporter said to him, um, you don't seem very happy. <laughs> and he was just like, I am happy. Happy New Year. He's <laughs> 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 strange, oh, strange okay. dude, but funny. One more thing before we're joined by a very special guest in the podcast. Because we normalise sometimes Barcelona's great results, we have to talk very briefly about their win over Inter. Mm. Only because they were without Leo Messi, who was looking gleefully on from the crowd with his Santiago. <laughs> and they handled a good Inter side in good form pretty, pretty comfortably, I would say. Yeah, Rafinha came in for Messi, which was a big call from Valverde and did really well, scored a great goal and was, was really, really good for Barca. Um, yeah, I mean, they kind of deserved the win. It was I'm a big Rafinha enthusiast as well. Yeah, he was great. And we have to give a shout out to Spalletti, the tactical mastermind for the the man sliding down behind the wall for any free kicks. That which was, was incredible. Honestly, one of the greatest things I've seen. Yeah. At first, I thought he'd slipped. I can't remember who it was, but uh, there was one free kick. that Suarez took a free kick, went under the wall, the wall jumped, the guy was laying down behind the wall and it went over the bar. <laughs> <laughs> But he didn't amazing. slip though, did he? No, he didn't slip. I was convinced he yeah. slipped. I was like, he must have slipped. No, he, that was but totally then when intentional. I, but then when I went back and watched the game, I saw they did it a few times earlier in the first half. And you see well, Messi giggling. When Messi sees it's what's so happening, funny. he starts giggling. Yeah, yeah. As you said, it was like, oh no, they've worked me out. I'm not going to be able to roll it under the wall anymore. <laughs> Party's over. But to be honest, that was a an impressive win for, for Barca because 
Inter, of course, coming off the the back of that Milan derby win, which you guys covered in the, the last podcast. But Inter have been really in form and yeah, that wouldn't have been an easy victory for Barca. We're very happy to be joined today by Kirsten Schlewitz, the co-founder of Unusual Efforts and an expert uh, in Red Star Belgrade and a Napoli fan for her sins. <laughs> Kirsten, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Kirsten. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. And Red Star last night. So they're back in the Champions League. How are you feeling as a Red Star fan and as I suppose a, a former sort of club historian, really? How are you feeling about their, their return to the Champions League? Wow, that's quite a burden, actually, to put on the expert <laughs> and club historian. <laughs> I feel like Sorry. I'm just starting out on all this. Um, you know, it's weird. I've cheered for many teams. It's kind of a joke on unusual efforts, how many teams I have. <laughs> but I've never been in a position in which the fan base is just so happy just to be involved in something. Right. Like last night, even during halftime when Liverpool were up 2-0, the pub I was at was singing Red Star chants and cheering and doing the call and response type things. And everybody was just having a blast. And I just thought that was fantastic. And and then it, I can contrast it. It changed after the penalty call. And oh. that's when the fans got upset. Uh, the first one. So, with, the first one on Monday. Yeah, the first yeah. one. The first one. Yeah, I mean, that was a bad um, call. Yeah, it was. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but... I didn't think it should have been given. Um, And obviously no one in that pub thought so either, except the random woman Liverpool fan who wandered in and somehow managed to escape alive. Um, (laughs) But I just thought it was a really interesting contrast. Um, They they were really excited to be back in the Champions League or back in top European play, I should say, finally after 27 years. But if Red Star fans feel they're being screwed over, essentially that's when the mood will change. One thing I want to ask as well, because, you know, it's been 27 years. Why has it taken so long for Red Star to come back? What what have the barriers been to the return? Well, um, I think everyone knows that, I won't say everyone knows that they won in 91, but I think everyone knows what started happening in 91. Right. Um, so uh, Slovenia actually declared independence like two weeks after Red Star won that title. They were in it the next season, but then there were sanctions keeping them out of European football for the next three years. Right. And so if you're not in European football, you're not getting that money. Then also the Bosman rule comes along in 95. And suddenly Red Star is struggling. They don't have that money. Partizan is getting the favoritism from those in charge. They're the ones that get the money to build the youth center, that kind of thing. And Red Star just got stuck in its 80s mindset, essentially, and they couldn't get out of it until pretty much just a few years ago, I'd say. As a, as a Red Star fan, Kirsten, getting back into the Champions League is obviously a massive step. How is that going to translate to domestic football? Do you think that they'll, with the money that they'll earn through the Champions League, they'll be able to solidify as a Champions League team? I mean, a couple of things. First of all, it's been said that Red Star are going to have to sell someone in January because they just, they still don't have the funds to have even done what they did over this summer, like buying Marco Marin and that sort of thing. Um, so obviously we're not there yet, but also if anything comes out of this match fixing accusation, 
it's it's all going to fall to pieces. That's going to be the end. It's going to be the end for European play for at least a couple of years, and it'll probably cause them to um, fall down in the standings domestically as well. Actually, that's something we should probably touch on because it was mentioned in your piece. If people haven't read it, there's a really good piece that Kirsten wrote for Howler about the match-fixing thing. It was from the PSG Red Star game, right, in Paris. Yes. Um, do you want to maybe fill us in for people who might not have read about it because it's a pretty it's a pretty wild story so what happened is that i think a week after the game accusations came out that a red star official had tried i think i don't think they were successful but had attempted to place something like a five million euro bet on a result that had psg winning by five goals or more and obviously what happens is PSG won 6-1. And there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with that, which I outline in the article. One that I didn't touch on very much because I, coming from the United States, am not I don't have a big background in betting. Yeah. Um, I just don't understand it that well. So I didn't want to dive too deeply into it. But first of all, it'd be really, really difficult to put a five million dollar bet, even in Asian countries where they're a little more lax on betting. They don't allow those kind of bets. So this would have taken coordination by a number of people um, to actually place enough bets to make it up to 5 million. And then obviously it would have taken at least one of the Red Star players, almost certainly a defender, to pull it off and possibly more than one. Just to be clear, Kirsten, was it one bet or a series of bets uh, amounting to 5 million? I th- I think what they said was that it was a series of bets, but then okay. again, it would ha- almost have to be more than one person, as I understand it, yeah. because once those start coming in, you're not going to be able to place more bets because it's going to get flagged. That's extraordinary, because how does that set to affect... What, what's the status of the investigation at the moment then into that? So Red Star have a higher lawyer. They've put out a statement that says essentially that this is slander. This is an attempt to destroy the club's reputation. Um, there are rumors that it was actually all set up by partisan. That well, not all set up. Um, that it was partisan who called in the tip. That's crazy. Um, partisan actually had to go and put out their own statement that said, uh, "No, we did not do that." But of course, a lot of Red Star fans still believe it. And one thing, actually, Kirsten, I want to ask as well. Um, and this is actually separate to the Red Star thing, but I want to throw it in because you've done some excellent work on the Cristiano Ronaldo case. And I've seen you get all manner of online abuse um, for merely discussing this online. And I just want to flag up the fantastic work you've been doing discussing your podcast. Any further thoughts on how that case is developing at the moment? Oh, well, to be honest, for two hours before coming on here, I was anxiety cross-stitching because last night I put out a tweet that said Ronaldo should be removed from the respect commercial that uefa put Mm -hmm. out and a few pretty big names retweeted it and of course that meant a lot of abuse coming my way and because i had two stories published yesterday i couldn't just skip my twitter mentions i had to make sure there was nothing genuine i had to respond to Mm. and it just astonishes me that people their primary response is innocent till proven guilty Mm. which is a legal term that is used to say the prosecution has a burden to establish a case. You know, it's not meant to say there's an allegation against this person, there's evidence that has been seen, therefore there's a commercial which features this man talking about respect 
because he hasn't been proven guilty, these people are saying the fans shouldn't be able to argue that that commercial should be changed to take him out. People seem so set in their ways of needing to uh, stand behind Ronaldo in this atmosphere, you know, Me Too, all of this that uh, continues to grow. And it seems like you can't say anything against a person until they've had their full and complete day in court. And quite likely, that's never going to happen for him. He has these lawyers exactly so that will never happen. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think it's going to be a very interesting um, few months to see how this develops. But I don't think, you know, Michael obviously works with German media very closely at Deutsche Welle. And he's, you know, obviously someone who's quite clued up on the state of things at Der Spiegel. And they're, they're a publication who don't make allegations unless they're extremely confident that they have, you know, the numbers and the, and the stats to back it all up. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Back to the field, though, uh, a quick discussion of Napoli and their game last night because they looked actually really quite good for large periods against PSG and maybe unlucky to come away without the win. Well, obviously, I'd say they're unlucky. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was uh, just watching a video before uh, before y'all called and it showed the 21 passes that led up to the Insigne goal mm. last night. And I just thought that was incredible. I don't know. Y- y'all said you were talking about this game before and I don't know if you pointed that out. We did but, not. Um, no, I didn't. I did it's not just... realise there were that many passes. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, wow. I didn't spot that. It's fantastic. Twenty-one. You can, yeah, twenty-one, and you can just see how it slows down the game, and Napoli have time to play their way, their thoughts, their way of um, articulating those passes, and then it finally gets to Calhoun, and his pass is just drool-worthy. I think, I think for a lot of people who aren't Napoli fans, and even some who are. Jose Callejon just doesn't get the credit he receives because mm. he was originally supposed to be a traditional forward and now he's not scoring, but he's playing such an instrumental role in so many of our goals that he deserves to get the credit. What are your thoughts on uh, the job that Carlo Ancelotti is doing so far? Because he has come in and it's an unenviable task. You know, Mar- Mauricio Sarri did such a good job last year, got them so close to, to winning um, Serie A. What are your initial impressions of uh, Ancelotti? Well, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't thrilled because um, I thought Ancelotti was perhaps getting a little too old for this. <laughs> um, I, I just I just tend to like young managers more and I, I love Sarri, even though he's not that young. He seemed to me to have a fresher take on the game. Mm. Um, but then I realized even going into these this season, even after a summer, even for those who didn't play in the World Cup, these players were just exhausted. Mm. He never rotated the squad. It was the same players playing all three competitions. And then Ancelotti, he knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've had maybe one player play every game. I don't even know if that's true. That was the case before the international break. So it might not be the case anymore. But he's doing a spectacular job with squad rotation. And now that uh these players have gotten more used to that and gotten more used to him mm. and to, you know, changing things up and playing with different formations and everything. I think a lot of the glitches are going away and that will really continue to see a stronger and stronger Napoli. Yeah, that's very interesting. And after a couple of false dawns for Carlo Ancelotti, and maybe he's found the perfect club for him. Let's hope. Kirsten, well, thank you so much. We've really got our pound of flesh from you there. <laughs> Red Star <and> Napoli, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> My goodness, you give you three times the paychecks for that. But um, <laughs> an absolute joy to have you on. 
Uh, where can we find you online? Uh, where can where can listeners find you? Uh, you can find me at Katie Schlewitz on Twitter. Um, and if anybody's interested in pictures, I'm also at Kirsten underscore lives underscore Belgrade on Instagram. Wonderful. Cool. And we can find your podcast, is it at Unusual Efforts on Twitter as well? Yes, at Unusual Efforts. And I, that's um, my creation, my baby, along with Sonia Misio. Uh, but I also am involved in Far From Vesuvius uh, Napoli podcast, which will be starting back up next week. So nice. take a look at that. Goodness me, you're a force of nature. Well, an, an absolute, <laughs> absolute joy. Right <laughs> <laughs> absolute joy to have you on, and um, we look forward to following all your work online, and uh, hopefully joining us again at some point in the future. I would love to, and thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks, Thanks Kirsten. Thank you. So great contribution from Kirsten there. We're almost done, but Michael, we've got a bit of a treat coming up the next podcast, haven't we? Yeah. So I spoke to the German football legend Michael Ballack recently. Um, he told me some interesting stuff and um, a lot of interesting thoughts on the 50 plus one rule here in Germany, uh, the Bundesliga, Bayern's dominance up until this season anyway. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that will be coming uh, on our next podcast. Great stuff. Exclusive oh. Ballack content. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> the time is right. Yeah. Well, great discussion as ever, and thank you so much, Michael, for returning to almost full health. Yeah, thanks. <coughs> Important minutes. <laughs> you're coughing. You know, you're like coughing. Cough, you're cough like, away from the microphone. You're like, you're like when Neymar got kicked in the ankle the other day against Napoli. He's rolling around. Face. It's like that. I, we get it. You're hurt. It's, it's fine. Yeah. We're sympathetic. But it's yeah. attention. So Stop nice. milking it. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much, audience, for joining us again. Um, Michael no longer indisposed. Ryan on fine form as ever. And Kirsten dropping in to give us a great perspective on Red Star, Napoli and the developing Cristiano Ronaldo case. Thank you so much for listening. We're on all social media channels at Rabonamag. We'll catch you soon. <laughs>